With a clash of cymbals, the symphony came to an end. Joanna's head was pounding, and she had to strain to hear the notes from the next selection. Insidiously, the melody filled the space in the car around her, and its sweet sadness brought a lump to her throat. The music's haunting lament, slow, simple, fatal, like life itself, kept returning insistently. She recognized Ravel's Pavane pour une enfante défunte and turned her head toward her window so the driver couldn't see the tears that welled up in her eyes whenever she heard that music. In spite of September's sunshine, the countryside took on a lugubrious tone. The music washed over Joanna. Tears drowned her eyes. Pierrot, my little brother, she thought, this is your song, the song of your too brief existence. It's free from anger, and its tenderness lets sadness show through. Like Pierre, Ravel's Infanta was letting herself be carried off without resistance into a world of dreams where she's welcomed by the angelic sparkling of flutes, by grave horns, and by nostalgic strings. The composer's conclusion was upsetting. After a caressing surge, it continued on resignedly, without combat, until the breath of the music died away delicately, almost peacefully, to leave the listener hoping in vain to hear the refrain one more time. It was over, but Joanna still waited, half expecting to hear the notes toll once again with their hope of resurrection. Overwhelmed by her feelings, she turned off the radio. Well, I see we've passed the turn-off for Le Havre, she noted, her voice resonant with emotion. We must be going toward Caen and Lower Normandy. I hope you're not taking me to Deauville. I don't want to run into crowds from Paris. I know, Francois answered calmly. Don't worry, we're not going to Deauville. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. It'll be just the kind of mysterious, romantic weekend you like. Cabourg? she asked. You're not so decadent that you'd take me to your house in Cabourg. Francois blushed. He already felt guilty enough about his relationship with Joanna. He would never have the audacity to take her to the house in Cabourg that his wife Marianne owned. Joanna realized that her words had made him uncomfortable. I'm sorry, Francois, how clumsy of me. I'm not jealous of your wife and children, only interested in everything about you. You've just spent a month's vacation with them and haven't said a word about it. I'm interested in everything about you too, Joanna, Francois answered. He wasn't keen on talking about his family. But unlike you, I am jealous. Really, she said, feigning surprise. Yes, another man occupies your mind, your actions, all the time. Joanna frowned. You wouldn't take any vacation time this summer so you could stay with him, Francois continued. Well, maybe not with him, but at least with his ghost. You spend all your time looking for him, but for the time being he stays out of sight. Joanna understood what Francois meant and, bursting into laughter, caressed his large hands. Some rival? You're jealous of Hugh de Semur, father superior of the Cluny Abbey? but he died in 1109. And don't forget that you're the reason my life is centered upon him in the first place. Yes, and if I'd known that he would take so much of your time, 
Maybe he did die in the 12th century, but his whitened carcass seems to fascinate you more than mine. I've been working in Cluny for only two years, Joanna answered. But I'm still going strong, and the tomb must be there somewhere. I'll find it if it's the last thing I do, but that doesn't keep me from admiring the way you look. But spending your life in Cluny in a hole with dead people? You'll end up just like that Hugh fellow you adore so much.